0: There we go. Esther, Lesson 13, Sunday, April the 16th. And this is the last day that we're going to be on Esther because we're running out of chapters. And so today is probably going to be a little lighter day, uh, but I'm going to try to wrap things up a little bit uh, for us and then we'll start our next book and uh, we'll get to that I haven't quite decided which book, but we'll get to our next book coming up. So, turn in your Bible to Esther, the last chapter, chapter 10. In fact, I want to start in verse 9 and verse 32, which is the last... Um, it's back up to about 31. Uh, so, Esther, chapter 9, verse... No, yeah, thirty. <laughs> okay. So are we there? Yeah, I know sometimes I do not describe things as good as I should. Chapter nine. Chapter nine, verse thirty, and he sent the letters into all the Jews to the hundred twenty and seven provinces of the kingdom of Hasdarius with words of peace and truth to confirm these days of Purim in their times appointed, according as Mordecai the Jew. And Esther the queen had enjoined them, and as they had decreed for themselves and for their seed the matters of the fastings and their cry, and the decree of Esther confirmed these matters of Purim, and it was written in the book. Chapter 10. And the king Ahasuerus laid a tribute upon the land and upon the isles of the sea in all the acts of his power and of his might in the declaration of the greatness of Mordecai, whereunto the king advanced him, Mordecai, are they not written in the book of the chronicles of the kings of Media and Persia? For Mordecai the Jew was next unto the king Ahasuerus, and great among the Jews, and accepted the multitude of his brethren, seeking the wealth of his people, and speaking peace to all his seed." So we see here, I titled uh, chapter 10, Mordecai is made premier. I mean, he is the second in the land. And actually, the king basically gives him every charge of everything except he's still over him. But yet, Mordecai is basically running the kingdom at this point. Kind of like Joseph. Both of them are, are types of Christ. And so... Uh, Mordecai became a great man, but yet a great godly man. Okay, so let's talk about Mordecai the man. Now again, the lesson today is going to recap a little of what I've said during our lesson through the book of Esther. Mordecai was the right man for the job. Now think about it. God placed him there for for that situation and for the situation that was going on. He was the right man for the job. And he had the right pedigree. He had the right genealogy. Remember, who can tell me the tribe that, that Mordecai was from? Remember, we made a big deal about this a few weeks, months back. Mordecai was from the tribe of Benjamin. Benjamin. And the reason why that's important is because, you know, of years before when King Saul was the king he was given the charge or the commandment by God to wipe out the Amalekites which he does not do which uh, Agag was the king of the Amalekites and his descendants continued to live on and Haman is a descendant of them well Saul was a Benjamite and so is uh Mordecai so it's just interesting that the Benjamite that God asked to wipe out the Amalekites and he didn't do it and yet under Mordecai Haman and his group get exterminated so he had the right pedigree he had the right genealogy and he also had the right girl because he had uh Esther was his who was she to him his cousin okay I guess, I'm asking questions not because I don't remember, I'm trying to see if you guys are remembering, okay? And a lot of people think it's his daughter or his, you know, some, it's his co- or his niece, but no, it's his cousin. It was his, Esther was his cousin. And so that's Mordecai the man. But Mordecai, and I'm going to talk a little bit about types today. Mordecai is a type, he's a type of several things. But number one, he's a type of the faithful Jew in the tribulation. So in your blank, your first blank there is faithful. And the reason I put faithful there is he's not just the type of the Jew in the tribulation because there's going to be two types of Jews in the tribulation. Those that obey God and those that Are still forsaking him, the ones that forsake God continually through the tribulation will get killed. The Antichrist will kill them, and he's going to do more than kill them. When you study it out, you won't want to be there. Okay, and so um, and the rest of the 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 faithful Jews are going to be. What are they going to be doing it when the Antichrist takes over in Jerusalem? They're going to be heading for the mountains. They're going to be heading to, to Petra. And that's a question that I, it says, it says in the Bible that they are, the Jews are told, they will be told to run to the mountain. It doesn't say which mountain. So my question is, which mountain is it? And so it's like, is it that mountain? Is it any mountain? What mountain? You know, and a lot of people think it is Petra. I don't know. Would be the closest? <laughs> I, I I think I don't know because if they you know if people Jewish people are scattered throughout Israel, what's going to be? Yeah, where, where is it? And I'm assuming that Elijah and there's another guy that's going to be there in the tribulation too, right? Elijah and who's the other guy? Moses. I I would imagine they're going to be telling them where they need to be run into also. So in Armageddon is that? Jews fighting with Christ? No, it's going to be the Gentile nations fighting against Christ. Okay. It's going to be Satan and his cronies and all the Gentile nations. And, and we got to remember, it's not just Gentile nations. It's going to be this made up army that Satan has. Mm-hmm. And so I would not say they're going to be people. So there's going to be all kinds of beings. There's going to be, there, there is going to be Gentile nations there also. But I mean, Satan is going to unload at Armageddon. And the neat part, he's gonna have everybody, he's gonna he's gonna have creatures that he's made specifically for this fight and guess what? The Lord just speaks and they're all Mm -hmm. out. That's gonna that's gonna be awesome, you know? Yeah. Have you seen those creepy things that the orcs? The orcs? (laughs) I mean what human mind could come up with that? Can you imagine what's gonna be worse that Satan comes up with? Mm Oh I mean Mm -hmm okay so um, yeah so the, uh, Mordecai is a type of a faithful Jew because he is a faithful Jew in the tribulation because let's think about this what is it with Mordecai that will that, that makes me say that that they, he's a picture of a tribulation faithful Jew? well number one, he refuses to bow to Haman he's not going to bow to Satan or the Antichrist or Haman. Okay, uh, in the tribulation, the faithful Jew will not bow to the Antichrist. So, the, I mean, you just look at the connections that are there. Uh, Mordecai mourns and he fasts and he weeps and he prays for the Jewish people. That's the same thing that the Jewish faithful man will be doing during the tribulation. And then uh, Mordecai, uh, he gets delivered from certain destruction again. Those people in Petra, those people that run to the mountain, they will be preserved and they will be delivered from certain destruction. And at the end, uh, Mordecai gets promoted in the kingdom. What happens to the Jewish remnant at the end of the tribulation? They get promoted into the kingdom. In fact, the Jews in general in the millennium will be promoted and the nation of Israel will be at the top. They will be the premier nation, and everyone will ha- the Gentile nations will have to come to them and to Christ in the millennium. So we see that now. If that's not a, a picture perfect picture, I got that mixed up. If that's not a perfect picture of the Jew of the faithful Jew in the trib, then nothing else is. You know, are there are a lot of people that go, "Oh, you guys go way too far with your pictures and your types." Well, all pictures and all types will break down. But you know what? God is still trying to teach us all through the Bible. And we need to be paying attention to those details. Mm-hmm. Uh, next, it says on your handout, it says, The conclusion of the book is, Esther is a, and they lived happily ever after. And I'll, I'll put story. Because when you look at this, it says, For Mordecai the Jew was next to the king of and great among the Jews, and accepted of the multitude of his brethren, seeking the wealth of his people, and speaking peace to all his seed. Everything is there. Everything is there. This, you know, I talk about, and I hear about people talking about, well, that guy, he's a real Cinderella story. And I said, no, we have a story better than Cinderella. Because we go from... And the Jews, same way here, they went from destruction to now they are saved and they are put in authority and, and they are above the other nations. Same thing, that's going to happen there. And so, uh, and I, it's, it's interesting because I had a quote. I wrote a quote here from from the Lord of the Rings, Paula Gimli in Lord of the Rings. Now, let me read this statement first and then I'll go back and read his statement. The righteous man defeats the villain and gets the girl and they ride off into the sunset. That's kind of the story that we see here, right? It's kind of like Gimli in Lord of the Rings. He goes, okay, so what's 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 our choice before us? We have a battle against incredible odds, almost high percentage of death. Okay, let's do it. <laughs> um, that that'll be that'll be the end time. That'll be Armageddon there. But the righteous man here in this story, he defeats the villain and he gets the girl and they ride off into the sunset. It's kind of like a Dudley Do Right cartoon. Now you guys are probably about my age and man, I remember those Dudley Do Right deals. And you know, and you got the villain with the black hat, the mustache. You know, and he ties the girl up. Right, where'd he tie her up at? The On the train track. Okay, so you guys are, you're, you're not just nodding your head. You, you've been there. And yet, he, at the last minute, he comes by and he gets the girl and, you know, the bad guy gets killed or whatever and it goes off. So, I, I put my own little quote here. Everything I've learned about life has come from the Bible and cartoons. <laughs> <laughs> or I could say, and movies and books. You know, when you start to, to, to understand and you start to love the Bible and you see the details of the Bible and the truth about the Bible, it ruins you. You can't go anywhere, do anything, read any book, watch any show, watch any movie without Bible truth popping out from you. Okay. So, uh, It's crazy. It's like, and I've told this story before. I went with Carrie to see the movie Titanic. And at the end of it, and they're all sitting there and the boat's going down and they're playing their violin. I go, that'll preach. And Carrie goes, would you be quiet and sit down? I'm not going to a movie with you anymore. I didn't realize I was standing up. But... but, um, I guess I was a little fired up over that. But I mean, it's like, you just see it. You see, you watch the news, and right now it's really easy. You watch the news and you're like, that's Bible. That's Bible. That's coming. Yes, that's there. I mean, you can't you can't go anywhere, do anything without seeing the Bible okay, but that's as us, it's in place. We know the Bible, but there are so many yes. out there who have no idea what the Bible says. they and they don't believe that the Bible is the Word of God. So no, they are really lost. Yeah. You remember yeah. the movie Passion, Jesus Christ, Passion of Christ, or whatever the very Passion first one that came out that uh, we went to see it at the movies and Mel Gibson's movie. Yes, yeah. and they. uh kept beating him, he kept falling, he kept beating him while he's carrying the cross. And they kept yelling at him, get up, get up. And I said, as loud as I could, well, quit beating him. <laughs> okay. <laughs> yes. Oh, did I say that out loud? Yes. We were sitting okay. close to the back, so... You know, so everybody got saying. it. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. But, you know, I remember earlier in my life that when I would hear preachers talk about things and then show show you things. And they were excited because they would see the Bible and things going on. I took notice of that. Mm -hmm. And yet I think I've kind of become that because you can't help but become that. Okay. You're going to see things through the eyes that the Lord wants us to see when we're reading his book. Okay. So we have in the story of Esther, a really good story. It ends happily ever after. They're in great shape, right? But that's That's really what's going to happen to the faithful Jews at the end of the tribulation, okay? So, in essence, the book of Esther is a picture of how our Bible, you have a blank, ends, okay? And to see that, just go and read Revelation chapter 22 and 23. Because you'll see God on the throne in heaven. You'll see Christ is on the throne on earth. The Jews have accepted their Messiah the Gentiles are bringing Christ's tribute. Did you notice in chapter 10 of Esther, uh, it says, And the king Asarius laid a tribute upon the land and upon all the isles of the sea. So if you're paying attention when you're going through the the Gospels and the birth of Christ, it, ta- it says, And in those days there was a uh, Caesar Augustus put a tax on the land. Those days there was a tribute going on. In the millennium, the Gentile nations will bring a tribute for Christ. And again, they'll have to go through the Jews to get to Christ. And so the Gentiles are bringing Christ tribute and we have peace on earth. Because it says here and all the... Uh, let's see if I can back up and find it. Where did I see that at? Maybe I didn't see peace. It was just seeking the wealth of his people and speaking peace. There it is. The very last verse to all his seed. So there's a peace on their going. So historically, the book of Esther, it's God saving the Jews after the captivity. Now you have to remember that the Jews, uh, the Jews here in the book of, of Esther have stayed in the land and not gone back to Israel. So you got Ezra and Nehemiah. They, they talk about what happens to the Jews that go back from captivity to the, to the land. And yet the group here in Esther choose to stay in Babylon and Persia and not go back. Okay. And so, um, historically, the book of Esther is God saving the Jews after the captivity. Prophetically, it's God saving the Jews during the tribulation. And inspirationally, now that's the, what application we can pull out of it. Uh, it's God saving the people from Satan wanting to destroy them. The story goes in your blank, and actually, that's Jews and Gentiles, because because mm-hmm. Satan is you know he's just not picking on the Jews. He wants us dead too. Historically, prophetically, and inspirationally, all boils down to God saving. You see, yes. Saving all- like God's yeah, saving them. God's saving them. God saved us. Okay? God has saved the Jews that followed Him in the Old Testament. And God will save the Jews in the tribulation that choose and follow Him. So you're right. Save is a key word there. God saves those people that put their faith in Him. Okay? And so, uh, Esther... Esther is a type. You remember, I made a big deal about this. because This got me when I was starting to go through the book here. Esther is a type of the who? Jewish, Jewish nation. And again, I remember I, I told you I had I had uh, not put the notes that I had in my previous Bible in the Bible I have now. And so I'm sitting here and I, I was reading several things and they're like, oh no, she's a picture of the church. And I'm sitting there and in my mind, and I mean, I'm going round and round how I went back to my other Bible and pulled that note up and I'm like, ah, that's why it's bothering me. No, Esther is not a picture of the church because she's Jewish. Now, we can glean some things from Esther. We can glean some things from the Jewish people, but we don't become them. Okay? So Esther is a type of the Jewish nation. A is type of God the Father. And Vashti, oh man, I already forgot about Vashti. Remember Vashti? Way back in chapter 1? Vashti is the type of the Gentile Gentile nations. Okay, because again in the tribulation, the Gentile, uh, uh, the Jewish nation is going to be exalted again, and so that's what's going to take place. In fact, that's what God has for the, the sole purpose of the tribulation is for God to take His, uh, uh his center of focus off of the Gentiles and put it back on the Jews. Okay. Should be like she was under Solomon. Because all of the kings of the earth came and paid tribute to Solomon. Yes. Like the queen of Sheba. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Okay. So on the next page top of two, we're going to talk about Heman for just a minute. Now Haman, he's that evil guy. He's the one when they read Purim, they read the story of Esther, even today. And when they when they read it in their families and they read the name Haman, everybody stomps on the ground and hisses and boos. That's just kind of what happens. So uh, Haman is a type of who? Satan. Satan. In fact, he is called the enemy of the Jews four times in the book of Esther. His ten sons are a type of the ten kings that rule with Satan in the tribulation. Haman exemplifies his father in name. Let me stop here for just a minute. In name, now I was also searching this out uh, in the Hebrew uh, letters. When you add those up, and I've heard this before, and I don't know how this works, but I've seen this several places that Hebrew letters, and I believe Greek letters, also have numbers attached to them somehow. So in the Hebrew letters of Haman, they add up to, guess what? 666. Just so happens to be, okay? So he exemplifies Satan with his name, the number, the lust for power, He didn't have a Haman wanted power didn't he? he 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 finagled his way into King Heus to number two in the land, and it was because of that relationship he goes, "Hey, I want to exterminate this group of people that really don 't do you any good they 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 don 't abide by our laws they 're just a menace for us, they cost us money to keep here, king you know, and the king just kind of went with it because he trusted him, okay because he was he Yeah, at that point he made a stupid decision, you know. he The king should have checked that out, but he didn't because he trusted this guy. So Haman had a lust for power, just like Satan has a lust for power. Because he wants to be what? He wants to be God. And even Haman... Wanted to be the king because remember when, when the king pulls Haman in and says, hey, I got this guy I want to honor. I want to show him off before everybody. And what does he say? Well, put your clothes on him. Put him on your horse. Run him through your kingdom. What was he trying? Because he's thinking he's talking about himself. So, so he, this is what he wants. I want to be the king. I want to wear the king's clothes. I want to, I want to ride the king's horse. And I want the king's kingdom to know about it. Yeah, he had a lust for power. And boy, did he get knocked down. But anyway, so he, he's like Satan because of his lust for power and his pride. He had a pride about him. You know, this this whole deal with, with Mordecai and exterminating the Jews was basically because of his pride. Because Mordecai wouldn't bow to him. Yep. He was made number two in the land. Everybody was bowing to Him except this one dude. And it's like, that's it? You're going to get hung up on that? He shouldn't have done it. He shouldn't have done it. His pride got Him. And the same thing with Satan. His pride is going to get Him. Okay? And then next was his hate for God's people. Now, Satan hates God and he hates his people. I mean, he, he hated Adam and Eve. He went and told them all this stuff and, and, and got them to the point where they sinned. Why did he, why did Satan do that? He wanted to just give them a choice. No, he hated him. He wanted him dead. And he hates us. He hates us. He doesn't want, he just doesn't want to hate us. Next on our list here, his plan to exterminate God's people. Haman had the same approach that Satan has. He wants God's people dead. He wants God dead. He wants to take his place. And the reason that he hates God's people is because God loves those people. He wants to make them a part of his kingdom. So Satan says, you know what? That's my number one mission. I'm going to kill him." And the thing is, I believe he wants to kill him even though he knows it's going to cost his own doom. Wow. And then at the very end, his his doom. Satan's doom is going to be like Haman's doom and it's going to come quickly. It'll come quickly. And then when that battle of Armageddon comes, that'll be it. And of course Satan gets loosed you know at the end of the millennium again. And uh but then that time that'll be it. So um just connect the dots. <laughs> connect the dots with Haman and Satan. It's not a big deal. Uh, key verse, I think, is is chapter 4 and verse 14. So let's go back and look at that. Uh, the key verse is probably whatever the key verse in this chapter that you think uh, is your that you would think would be the key chapters or verse. So what I'm saying is, just because I say this is my key verse, you may have something else that really resonates resonates what's going on there. And it's specifically the end of 14. 14 of chapter 4 says this, For if thou altogether holdest thy peace... Now this is Mordecai talking to Esther... He goes, for if thou altogether holdest thy peace at this time, then shall their enlargement and deliverance arise to the Jews from another place. So Haman has enough faith in God to know that God's promises cannot be wiped out. God's going to use somebody to finish this task. But he's talking to Esther. He goes, but thou and thy father's house shall be destroyed. And who knoweth whether thou art come to the kingdom for such a time as this? That's key. Mm -hmm. That should be key for us. Esther had to to go in and open her mouth, right? Mm -hmm. And so we may not be opening our mouth as Christians trying to witness before the king. We're, We're doing that before lost people. But you know what? That's why God has left us here for such a time as this. To do His work in the time He's given us. That's why I was thinking it's such a big deal when, when Judy was talking about, hey, my body belongs to the Lord. You know, what happens is going to happen. I want to continue to, I mean, that, that, that's exactly where we need to be. You know, after, after I had my heart attack, I'm like, every day is just a gift from God since then. Cause God could have taken me right then. In fact, I told the nurse, I said, you know what? If I die, it's okay cause I know where I'm going. Now Brian Hedges said I was just kind of punch drunk on the on whatever they were giving me. I don't know if they were giving me anything yet. Were they? I don't think so. I think think I'm just laying there waiting for him to do something. And it's like I'm okay either way. He's like, maybe I'm excited. Maybe this is it, Esther. I'm coming. I don't know what the deal was, but I'm like, I told that to, and I was because God had given me a peace about what was going to happen. And I was okay. I, I just asked God, I, I, whatever you want, Lord, but please don't make it be painful. I was a little off. But <laughs> but I was. I was okay. But then every day after that, I have to keep remembering, God has given me another. This is a gift. Every day we have is a gift. And so we need our life. It's not our own. We belong to the Lord. And again, I wish I had that attitude my whole life. I wish I had it 30 years ago. I mean, I kind of did, but I I wasn't all in like I am now. You know, 30 years ago, it's like, man, I'm ready for the rapture. I just don't don't hope it's right now. I got things to do. Mm -hmm. People that, you know, think I got a family. I got this. I got that. Now I'm like, I don't care. Bring it on. Mm -hmm. I know there's people. I know there's people that need to be saved. So that's that's the only reason why we should really, you know, be... Wanting to stay. And you almost say, God, I'm sorry that I had to take a heart attack for me to come to this point. Yeah. Um, I think that just exemplified it a little bit more. Brought it out. But um, it, it's been a slow process. It's all the way up until now that that, that I've kind of had that attitude. But we belong to the Lord and we need to do what He wants us to do. And right here is when when she either opened her mouth up to save her people or she didn't. And I think that was a key moment. And but I think Esther was quite a gal. I think I think she she had I think she had a relationship with God. She was following the Lord in the old testament. So I, I wrote everything all the chapters, uh the titles again for you. I don't know if you're keeping notes of all this. And one more blank. It says even though we don't see the name of God in the book we see the hand of God all over behind the scenes. I mean, it just so happens. Everything is a just-so-happens in this thing. It just so happens that the king couldn't sleep that night. It just so happens that Esther you know, became the queen. It just so happens that Mordecai is there. I mean, God set the stage here. He set the stage. And so, you know what? The people in Esther, Esther, Mordecai, they may have not known why all this happened. But we do because it's like the book of Job. It was for us. God put it in the book for us to glean from so we could live our lives knowing how the end's going to be. So, um, let's see if I have anything else to say. Uh, the, the date, 485, 465 B.C. And again, Ezra and Nehemiah tell about the Jews that go back into the land. But Esther is the book that tells what happens to those Jews that stayed in Babylon and Persia. Uh, Ten chapters... 167 verses, and for you really nerdy people, 5,633 words. Okay. okay. I don't know why you need to know that, but I'm giving Where it to you. Where did you get that information? Um, I don't think you counted them. Yeah, well. exactly. <laughs> uh, I got that from one of my commentators. It's pretty good. And so, uh, uh yes. <laughs> um <laughs> what Esther teaches us, I think is is that we need to realize that the time to act is now. The time to be witnessing is now, the time to be praying for salvations is now because the time is short, okay. <laughs>